Man, I'm sorry if I get a little extra Pentecostal today. I grew up in this church. Uh, this, is, this is where my dad pastors, uh, and so I'm, I'm used to shouting a little bit more and jumping a little bit more. Um, so, you know, if you see me hype, that, that now you know why. But for those of you that it's your first time here, uh, welcome. My name is Justin, and I am the pastor here at Zion. Really glad that you all came out on a Saturday night for all you watching tomorrow morning. We're glad that you can be here, but it is a pleasure uh, just to get together whenever we can and worship uh, and praise God together. Um, before I, I get into the sermon, I just want to call out that if anybody wants to take pictures of these sneakers right here and, and submit it to preachers and sneakers, um, I, I think that would be that would be okay. Uh, now, for my birthday a couple of weeks ago, a few of the members of the church got together and bought me my first pair of Jordans. Uh, and so I don't know if I can preach against sneakerheads as much as I usually do. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, but I appreciate it, and I just want you to see the freshness, because the anointing is going to be a little extra for the word. <laughs> I'm just kidding. God, forgive me for that one. Now, I'm excited. Uh, I, I, I'm bringing our series to a close today in 1 John. Can you believe that? We have been in 1 John for like three months. Uh, everybody was like, oh, five chapters is going to be a quick one. No. Never, never. We went verse by verse. We went through it. Uh, it was really good just to hear the Apostle John, his, his words to the church that still have a, a deep effect today. So we're, we're concluding today. We're going to be reading uh, from chapter 5, verses 13 to 21. And as John closes uh, this book, he wants the church to walk away with confidence uh, from Everything that he has talked about, everything that he has shared, everything that he has taught them through the letter, he wants to close this book and make sure that the church is walking away with confidence in certain things in the Word. And so that's what we're going to be hitting on today, just the confidence that we have as, as believers. Um, and, and John will remind us of several things that he has talked about so we can walk away encouraged knowing uh, what we have in God as we serve him. So I'm going to start in verse 13. If you have your sheets, you can read along with me. I think it may be in back of me. We're going to read from 13 to 15. I'm not used to a screen. We haven't had one in like two years. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. Let's read. Uh, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So first thing that he says is kind of what we covered last week. Melvin taught on this, this confidence that we have in eternal life. Uh, this is where Mel ended his sermon last week but for us to know that we should have confidence that we have eternal life. That John, throughout this entire book, he kept on hitting these points. And he kind of gave these tests. He gave a, a moral test. He gave a doctrinal test. He gave social tests. And he kept on giving these tests over and over again. If you call yourself a believer, if you confess 
Jesus, what do you do? You, you take care of your neighbor. You take care of the, the needs of people around you. You don't continue in sin. You don't live a life captured by sin. And, and you are uh, abiding, remaining in God. And so at the end, he's like, you, you've, you've made it to the end. You've, you've stayed in the church. You are with the believers. I want you first and foremost to know, have confidence that you have eternal life. And our confidence, he says, is in a God who hears us. Man, that is good. I don't know about, about you guys, but there are, I don't know how many times I have felt when I've prayed and I've wondered, God, do you even hear me? You know, I was, I was praying with uh, Judah a few nights ago before we went to sleep, and I told him because we're in a Brooklyn apartment, which means all four of my kids sleep in one room, and Judah is always the last one to go to sleep. He's the party animal of the family. Uh, Lex is a close second to him, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's about an hour after everybody else is asleep. Me and Judah are chatting in his bed. Everybody's sound asleep, and so I said, let's pray before you go to sleep, and I asked him to whisper. So he starts whispering and praying, and he says, but, but Daddy, God can't hear us if I talk this low. I said, don't worry, buddy. Whenever you're praying, God knows the prayers in your heart, and he knows even the whispers that come out of our mouth. He hears all of it. And so he confidently at that moment prayed, knowing that God heard him. And this is what John, John is the OG of apostles, he is the only one of the apostles that made it to a, a ripe old age. Most theologians believe he made it to his late 80s or, or 90s, which back then is just something that didn't happen. And then if, on top of that, all the apostles were murdered for their faith. They tried to murder John. That, that didn't work. They exiled him. That didn't work. So eventually they leave him alone. But this is an OG talking to the body of Christ, and he, he wants and he, he if you read this book, you remember he keeps on calling the church little children. He wants them to know, man, God hears you. You know, Jesus constantly uh, uh, will compare us in the scriptures. We see compared to the faith of children. Because as a parent, if you never had kids, you can imagine that as a parent, if you do have kids, you understand this, that when you tell your child a fact about life, they believe it. There's no doubting like, oh, I don't know, what about this scenario or what about that scenario? No, if you say, no, this is the way of life, they believe it. And that's how John is wanting the church to walk away with the things that he's saying. He's saying, God hears you. Church, can we just say amen in that, that God hears us? And that is good for us to know that in hearing us, God gives to us what we ask of him. And that is good. There's always a caveat when we talk about prayer in Scripture, though, about when we ask God. All the apostles, I was reading James this week with a few, a few people in the church, and James says the same thing. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions and desires. And John kind of gives the same thing here. He says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? Many of us will sit down at night and, and 
wonder, God, have you heard me? And many of us will be alone and say, God, you don't hear me because our prayers are all based and centered around our own heart and our own will. And we go to God and we just say, God, I need, I need this. I need, God is like a, a, an Amazon shopping cart. You know, if, if it doesn't get delivered by next day, then God, you have not heard and you have not answered. And this is, this is the checklist of everything I need. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Good night. But John gives this caveat, asking according to his will. And we just spent all of 1 John learning about what God's will is. To walk a life of sanctification and righteousness before God, to walk a life of love towards our brother and our sister, caring for them in, in actionable ways, and walk a life of love towards God, obedience towards him. And so when we pray, how does Jesus teach his people to pray? He always, we start with praise towards God. That's why I love that last song. It was just praising and honoring the name of Jesus. Right, the, the Our Father, as I read it to my children, we start off with, you know, I know it goes, uh, Our Father, hallowed be your name, but we say, Our Father, praise to your name. We want to start off honoring God, and even in that prayer, what does Jesus say? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer, many times, is about us conforming our will to the will of God's, of reminding ourselves of the ultimate mission that God has us on, and then our prayers are filled with praise and the willfulness or the kingdom of God coming down. So what does that look like? God, I pray for my children to walk in faith. That is, John says here that they will overcome the world by clinging on to their fate to their last day. Pray for God's kingdom to go forth, that that as I use my resources, my time and my talents, all that I have, that I can use it for God, that I, that I read scriptures and I pray, God, help me walk out this love in the scriptures. That it says that love is caring for my brother or my sister, that I, I can't walk into a relationship with somebody else, an assembly, a gathering of the church and see someone in need and walk away and say that I love when I did not help fulfill that need. See, prayer is not, God, can I get that, uh, get those Jordan ones that are really fire and look good on anybody that wears it while they're preaching? Prayer is not that. <laughs> prayer is not, can I get that house? Can I get that, can I get that better job? Prayer is, God, conform me to your will. Help me walk in love. Let your spirit dwell in me today. Let me be filled with the spirit, not with new wine. God, that I would have the fruit of your spirit. And so John says, as we pray in his will, what happens? God hears and he answers. I've been learning this more and more recently to pray confidently as I pray that God is hearing me, that my, my prayers are not on deaf ears, but are on the, they are on our God who loves us. Jesus compares God uh, the father to an earthly father. And he, he says, look at your earthly fathers. If you, have a, if you grew up with a decent father, if you ask your father for something good, he won't give you something bad that will hurt you in return. He says, how much more will your heavenly father want to give you something good? That is the kind of confidence that John is calling us to pray with. 
a confidence that realizes that we serve a God, a Father that loves us and that all the things that we just read about in 1 John that we may many times, I'm telling you, I got more questions about whether I am saved or not this series than I've ever gotten in the history of me pastoring because a lot of the truths that we read about were hard black and white truths. And so know that as we pray through 1 John, the things that 1 John called us to do, that the apostle said, this is what it means to confess Christ. This is what it means to walk out the life of the believer. Know that when you pray to do that, not only is God hearing you, but God will fulfill it in you. So if there's ever been a moment where that was you during the sermon series where you thought, man, Am I going to heaven? (laughs) Know that whatever it is in your heart that was causing that reaction, that when you pray, you could be praying right now, you can pray when you get home, you could pray tomorrow morning. When you pray, God hears it. And he will begin to act on it. Now, talking about prayer, John gets into this side note that is one of the most confusing scriptures in all of the Bible. Let's read it. And verse 16, he says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. I'm going to put this bluntly and say nobody understands what this means. I have read so many different commentaries on this passage of scriptures and all the commentaries, all the theologians that spend their entire life reading Greek and Hebrew and reading through these passages say something like this. Here's the top five opinions on this scripture. I lean towards this one, but we are unsure. And so, but all those theologians agree on one thing. This is not talking about suicide. So a lot of people will, will read this verse and they'll ask and, and they'll make a blanket statement that anybody that commits suicide is automatically going to go to hell. That is not what this scripture is saying. So every theologian agrees on that. Also, every theologian agrees that there is a realm of understanding of what this means. And I'll give you that. And that's this. If, if, if you put this into the context of what we have been talking about, we have talked about this over and over again, which there was a group that were in the church and some leaders that had started preaching a falsehood about Jesus. And the falsehood that they preached about Jesus was that he was not truly human because they could not fathom this understanding that he walked in this humanity like we walked in the humanity. And so John starts off this this whole book with, "I, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him. He was human. He was here. Mel talked about this last week, about how blood and water and the Spirit testify to who Jesus Christ was. And so this this group actually caused a split, a church split, and they took a group of people from the church. And John wrote this letter mainly in reaction to this group, mainly to to look at what they're having. So as he looks at this, he is basically saying, these people have left the faith. I think the best thing that we can say, and the sin that they have chosen in their heart, which 
is the sin to not believe in Jesus, right? We can, we can say we believe in Jesus, but is that the Jesus of the Bible? Is that the Jesus of the apostles? Is that the Jesus who is fully human and fully God who came as a baby in, in poverty and then died for our sins 33 years later and then rose from the dead and during that entire time, he was fully God and fully human. Is that the Jesus that we believe in? And if not, if we start to craft our own Jesus, then what happens? That is a sin that leads to death because our faith walks away from a faith in Christ into an idolatrous faith, a, an idol that we have crafted in our image and something that we want to believe in that makes sense in our mind. Instead of seeing God as unsearchable riches of God that the Spirit searches day and night, we think I can understand every ounce and depth and angle about him, and so we confine him, and then we begin to craft our own faith. And, and so I think this is a clear depiction of John saying that has, they have walked away. The, the, the confession, the faith that they have, as he says over and over again, is one that leads to death. And so then after this, John gets into these three we know statements. He ends these in, in three affirmatives that's, that encourage them. These are things that we know. These are, are facts. When we have faith in the true Christ, the one that I have saw with my own eyes, the one that I touched with my own hands, the one that I heard with my own ears, we have faith in him. When we walk out true life in Christ, these are things that we know. And we're going to read the first we know statement in, in verse 18. He says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So he says, we know this is a fact. That the role of sanctification, this is the process in our life of God renewing our mind of the daily crucifixion of the old self, the old ways, the old things in our life, that process in our life, and abiding in God. John talks a lot about this, remaining in God. We know that if someone remains in God, we cannot remain in God on one end and also remain in sin on the other. These two things are not compatible in our life. Does this mean that we will never sin and we will be perfect? No. John takes that in, in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he talks about that. But what it means is that, as Jesus said, we can't serve two masters. John is saying we, we cannot remain in God, but also remain in this other place of sin. And so we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So I want to touch on this because there have been times in my life where I'm like, man, I keep on sinning. What's going on here? And that is the indication that if you are sitting here and you're saying, well, that's not something I know. Well, here, here, here's the thing. That is, that is actually something we know. And so if there is habitual sin in our life, what does that tell us about our life? that our life is one that is remaining in sin, remaining in the world, that the world is overcoming us, as John says, instead of us in faith overcoming the world and remaining in God. So what do I need to change about my calendar? What do I need to change about my time? What do I need to change about my money? What do I need to change about my habits? 
because my life right now is one that is remaining somewhere else other than God. And John makes it very clear. You are either a son of God or you're a son of the evil one. There is, there is, like you may not be a Satanist. You may not actively worship the devil. But if you are not a, a son or a daughter of God, then John says you are a son or a daughter of the evil one. And so if we are remaining in sin, there is still things in our life that we are prioritizing over and above God that we need to take inventory of. Because we know that when we are in God, that we do not remain in sin. And so there are many times where I see if there's a, a recurring sin in my life, that's a good time for me to take inventory and say, all right, have I been remaining in God? Have I been, have I been revolving my calendar, my work, my scheduling, my life, my family around him? Has he been my priority? Or have other things begun to be my priority so I remain in those more than I remain in him? And then I love this. It says, God protects all those who are born of him. This is powerful because there, there is a whole section of Christianity that believes that we can be cursed Christians, that we can be possessed. And John is very clear right here that God protects us and the evil one does not touch us. I want you to just marinate in that for a second. You know, one of the conversations, me and Jude have a lot of late night conversations. You know, every time he, it's a joke with me and Heather, he becomes a dehydrated philosopher around 8.30 at night, every night. <laughs> Dad, can I get water? So, why did God create the devil, Dad? <laughs> this is, you know, almost every night. <laughs> and so we see, right, one of the, the things is we have this ongoing conversation of can the devil rule his heart? And I come and I constantly point scripture, Judah back to scripture of God protects your heart. When Jesus lives in your heart, the devil can't live in your heart. When, when you abide in God, scripture, John says God abides in you. And when God abides in me, that that is as sure protection as anything else from any curse of the enemy, every demonic power of the enemy, any scheme of the enemy, any plan of the enemy for me. And so there's a, there's a whole Christian world out there that will get you to believe that there are curses and demonic powers that have what they would say taken strongholds in your life or have attached themselves to you or live in you that somebody can literally say a, a curse over you and that curse will remain on you. And my question is always, what Bible are you reading? 
Because nowhere in Scripture do we see any believers being cursed by somebody or the devil having more power over a son and daughter of God than God has power and protection over them. Nowhere. But many times we want to get wrapped up in the fanatical and the fantastical because we don't want to do the hard work of the habitual, of the discipleship, of the daily rhythms of prayer and reading and remaining in God. And we'd rather say it was a spirit or a curse so that I can be delivered in a second rather than do the hard work of a decade of remaining in God when I don't want to. Come on, y'all ain't hearing me for this one. We would rather get freedom at an altar call than turn off the TV at night to open our Bible on a regular basis. And so we have developed this entire world and paraphernalia and theories on demonology so that we can go from one conference and one altar to the next until we receive our freedom when God says... When Jesus says in John, in the Gospel of John, that if you remain in me, well, abide in him, long-term discipleship, then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. See, I think Christians will always come up with the new theology or the new thought or the new ways and stop reading the Bible because things are more convenient this way. Excuse my tangent. But God protects us. This we know. God protects us. And yeah, the devil may throw his darts. He may send temptation our way. We may fall and sin. But guess what? We have a God who loves, cares, protects, and always is our high priest, our help in a time of need. And no one, Scripture says, can snatch us from his hand. Amen? In verse 19, he gives us the second we know. He says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So once we are born again from God, when we go through this second rebirth, we are from God, but, and, and whereas the world lies in the power of the evil one. This is that, that split that I was telling you about. What's, what I love about this is these two words is, he says that we know that we are, what, from God, the world is not from the evil one. The evil one has no power for something to be from, to be birthed, to be created from it. But the world is what lies in the evil one. It has been captured. That's why what Jesus has done is redemption power to buy us back, to take us back from the evil one, from the power, the, the, the power of the prince of the air. That we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his marvelous light, as Paul says. Our source is no longer earthly. 
When we are born again, our starting point, our source is the infinite, powerful source, wisdom, power, love of God. We have a new starting point in God. Jesus says that all that believe in him, rivers of living water will flow from them. In heaven, when heaven is described in the prophets or in Revelation, you always see the rivers flowing from the throne because that is what God is like. He is the sustenance. He is the power. He is the life force and source of all that there is. John is reminding us, he talks about the world over and over again. He defines the world as the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of materials. But he says the world, he says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The enemy has been defeated. Soon he will be crushed and no more. But for right now, we have all the armor, all every, every tool in the toolbox that we need to withstand everything that he has. And not only that, but we, the, the gates of hell, will not prevail, what, against the church. That means that we can take the fight to him. We are the ones that saying, no, we have overcome the world. Later on, we just read a few weeks ago, John says, what, that you have overcome the world. The victory of that, I preached about that two weeks ago, is your faith. So the, the world lies in the power of the evil one. That's why if you, you only have two choices, you either remain in God or you remain in the evil one. I don't know if anybody's ever read Screwtape Letters, amazing book by C.S. Lewis, but what, what C.S. Lewis does is he, he, he writes this book as if one of the underling uh, demons is writing, reporting back to his overseer demon. And the, the demon is talking all the, the different ways that he has been trying to get this, temp, this Christian to walk away from his faith and all the different ways that he's tempting him. It's an incredible book. I recommend everybody to read it because what, what you really open up your eyes to and what I appreciated about that book is that everything may not look demonic. And there are a lot of good things that God created in the world for us to enjoy and have pleasure in. But the enemy will twist, will manipulate, and will tempt so that the good things become bad things or ultimate things and become our worship. So that even though, yeah, this, is, this, this doesn't have pentagrams and tarot cards on it. It's not satanic. But it still puts me in the power of the evil world because why? The world is his. But church, we have overcome the worlds. Our source is no longer earthly, it is God's. And in the resurrection and death of Jesus, we saw that Jesus has the ultimate say over sin and death, and no longer do those things have the ultimate say over our life because we have the source of all life and all power. So that all of those things are broken. The third and final we know statement ends the book with this. John says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. 
And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. We know, John says, that we have, we have this understanding so that what? We may know him who is true, God. And we may know, as Paul says, the mystery of all the angels, that, of all the ages that even the angels were curious about. The mystery that the good news for all of creation, no longer just for Israel, but the Gentiles as well. We know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding. We can understand this mystery, the gospel, the good news. Why? Why? So that, John says, we may know him who is true. And why? So that this, this, this abiding language again, so that we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. And John says those who are in him in chapter three, are he is in them. He uses love language too. When we abide in him, love abides in us. God is love. God is abiding in us. So when we understand him, when we when we hear the gospel and we understand the gospel and we believe in the good news that Jesus came is the ultimate power and authority, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, that he has conquered sin and death and all who put their faith in him have conquered it as well. When we believe in this good news, that as I read in Luke chapter four, when Jesus stood up in the temple and he said, this day, this scroll, this prophecy has been fulfilled among you that those who are oppressed now can be liberated. That those who are sick can now be healed. This is the good news to the poor. Poor in spirit. Poor in whatever it is. All those things that we can say we now believe Understand the gospel so that we may know him who is true and be in him who is true in him in us. Jesus, then, he makes this grand statement about Jesus Christ saying he is the true God and eternal life. This grand statement is amazing because this entire letter, he has been fighting this leadership who has split the church who is saying that Jesus was not truly God, or sorry, not truly human. And they couldn't fathom this. And whenever, a little, a little hack about reading the, the letters, the New Testament, is whenever one of the apostles say Jesus specifically, Sometimes they will say Lord, sometimes they will say Christ, sometimes they will use other language, but when they say Jesus, they are referring to the bodily human person that came down, that walked among us. So he is saying Jesus Christ, he is merging the Messiah and Jesus together, and then he is putting him in the category of God and saying that through him we have eternal life. He wants to end this chapter, he wants to end this letter by making no mistake who it is that we serve, the power that he has and the humanity that he brought with him. That when we understand Jesus, he emptied himself of all that he had so that he could walk among us. It was the greatest sacrifice. Without Jesus' humanity, 
Without God's humanity in the form of Jesus, we don't have the beauty of sacrifice that is so key to the good news, that is so key to everything that we understand, that he humbled himself to be like us. And then he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Meaning every other thing, every other form of Christ that you may be tempted to worship is idolatry. Every other Jesus that you would want to put up, every other person that you would want to put there is a form of idolatry. Know that this is the true Jesus. Etern he gives eternal life. He is God. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. Make no mistake about it. This is the one that we serve. We know that this is him. John wants us to walk away with this, the complete confidence that God hears us, that he protects us, that we are from him. We are literally his children being birthed from him. It says that, we're, that, that we are born of God, and the Greek means that we are fathered of him, and that he is God, eternal giver of life. And that is now what we come from. Church, as we end this book, I want you to walk away with confidence in who you are, and the God that you serve. That this is not a God who is conquered by death. This is not a God who is so far above us and so prideful and so amazing that he didn't love us so much that he would not come and walk among us. But in that walking, that did not strip him of his eternalness, of his godness, of his power that we get to walk in today, that we get to say that we know we are from. Can you stand with me and pray? Father, we thank you. for the confidence that we can walk in as your children. To know, God, that we are from you, the true source. Lord, I pray that you would direct our prayers. As we read through this letter from John, we saw what it means to walk out the life of a believer to have a true confession of faith. We saw what that means doctrinally. We saw what that means morally. We saw what that means socially. Direct our prayers to be conformed to you. That we wouldn't be people of the quick fix and the new theology to be tossed and fro by everything that we hear. But we would be people who remain. Remain in you. That at the end of everything life has to offer us, whether really great things to tempt us away or really hard things to tempt us away, that we will have victory with faith in our hands as we go to meet you. That we would walk away confidently proclaiming the good news 
of you and what that means for us as a church and us as a people to be fathered by the true eternal God. In Jesus' name we pray.